Here is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? This week's theme is letters. Put the message in the box. Put the box into the car. Drive the car around the world until you get hurt. Welcome everybody to Box 39. This is the community magazine and music show here on the wonderful Cone Radio. I am Bill Lawrence. Yes, I really am. And this week we're joined by a whole host of groovy guests, including David Stevenson and Robert Fraser's Groovy Arts Club Band. Hopefully we're going to be joined by Donna from Norwich, who's coming for another live classic episode of the all-time favourite Ironing on the Radio. And after this show, we're going to do yet another show. We're going to be doing another edition of Red Button, which is, of course, Later Evening Conversation Live. Now, Ian, what is the theme of this show? Well, as I think Adrian said right at the beginning, this week's theme is letters. Is the golden age of letters well and truly over? What does the future hold for personal communication in this rapidly changing world? And this week's feature is all about Colchester's own art and music dynamo extraordinaire, D.A. Stevenson, which he delivers to us in his own words and music. Now this week, Adrian has been very busy writing letters to some of his favourite musicians and broadcasters, and he's given us a few to listen to. So it's going to be a wonderful hour stretching ahead of us with uh, Ian Talentire, Mike Harwood, myself, and hopefully... We're even going to have another guest, Mr. Steve Ball, if the bus is going to get here on time. So, come on then, let's get on with the show. Let's open Box 39 and our wonderful, wonderful wall of sound. This is Adrian here, and I'll be presenting Red Button in about an hour from now. Look, I'll be quite upfront about uh, how I feel about things. I had suggested a really, really interesting letter for this Out of Box 39 Letters special, but uh, Bill and Ian, and maybe Mike too, I don't know, they rejected the idea. So here is Mr. Postman by the Marbellettes or the Marbells or something, and uh, it's obviously a kind of a play on the fact that this is about letters and postmen bring letters. So this is your musicology for this selection. Box 39, the wall of radio sound. (laughs) 
Well, you're listening to Ausgang Exit here on Box 39 on Colm Radio. And this is a brand new tune called In a Land of Fair Pay for Musicians. And it's from their forthcoming album, uh, which seems to be a concept album looking at it. So, so I can only count 15 in the band tonight. And, but I have to say, guys, the band's invoice for this week feels as though for 16. I don't really understand it. Anyway, come on, boys, play that tune. I really do love the way all 15 of them play together there. It's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? So, you are listening to Box 39, a letters special. We're looking forward to Donna from Norwich coming later in the show, and we're looking forward to your texts. Now, until then, let's, let's think a little bit of letters. You know, there are many historians who use letters when they go about their work because there are valuable windows for looking into the past. Letters rely on storytelling, don't they? Can personal communication sort of a historical source which gives people wanting to understand past events and the people involved in them it's a really sort of useful inspiring sometimes challenging threshold for the story to, to they want to tell and you can tell them on a roll here moreover most letters they really do have a certain open maybe could i call it a candid quality which contrasts with the the highly conceptualized self-protective language of more official documents. Letters, what I'm trying to say here, guys, is that letters show us what make people tick. They're of the moment, sparks of life that can travel down to us all the way through the ages. You know, you could say it's only literate people exchange letters, couldn't you? you say, well, what about those people that couldn't write? But it's not just the literate, the rich and not so rich, old and young, women and men, even if they didn't write them, had them read to them. So letters, they're democratic historical sources. Well, I've got that bit off my chest. So let's talk about famous people first and bring you guys in. Um, Ian, I'm going to ask you this first. I know you've been uh, researching this a little bit. What historical letters have caught your imagination, Ian? Uh, probably the ones that struck me most strongly were the exchange of letters between Nelson Mandela and his wife at the time, Winnie. Um, Winnie was his constant companion, uh, both in his cell and his only contact with the outside world. When you think back, 1969 is six and a half years into his 27-year stretch, um, and he wrote a little little, uh, letter to his uh, dearly beloved wife, uh, starting, Since the dawn of history, mankind has honoured and respected men and women like you, my darling. An ordinary girl who hails from a country village hardly shown in most maps. Well, there's a man who can definitely write, and it shows a great deal of emotion. And the fact is, in 1969, Winnie was also in prison, awaiting trial. Nelson's mother had recently died, and he'd been denied the chance to attend. Um, But the letters also go on to express love and life, the dreams that he... Um, that he has during his, his nights, the regrets that he's had in life. But they also include things like recipes and descriptions of herbal tea. They give a wonderful round image of the man. Well, my darling, thank you very much for that. Uh, Mike, what have you got? Well, for me, it's uh, Gandhi's plea for peace letter to Hitler in uh, July 1939. It's a great letter because um, it's difficult to imagine greater goodness in correspondence with greater evil. Hitler never answered, and there is a debate about whether it was delivered um, and interrupted by the British government. Gandhi's letter contrasts with that of Hitler to Mussolini, in which he concealed the fact that going to invade Russia the next day, June 22, 1941, and Hitler was at the height of his powers, thought he was unbeatable, hubris personified. Uh, Why start another war when it destroyed him? Terrific. Fancy that, saying, do you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to invade Russia. Now, my letters I like are from Eisenhower. The ones he wrote in D-Day, that was the 6th of June, 44. So, Mike, that's another war, war letters, where he's just about to recapture Europe, and he wrote these letters. Amazing, imagine that. The supreme commander of the Allied forces, who later became president in the 1950s, holding the biggest secret of the war he's about to invade, and he writes a letter to his wife all about it. Isn't that amazing? Ian, have you got another one? Um, Kaiser's blank check, I would say. I thought that's how the letter is referred. Possibly the most influential letter in history, or the most destructive, anyway. Um, where the uh, Kaiser of Germany, Wilhelm, gives his 
unconditional support to the actions of the Austro-Hungarian Empire in their uh, taking on of Serbia and eliminating them as a political power in the Balkans. And I think we probably all know where that took Europe, basically down the pipe and round the U-bend, um, led to the deaths of tens of millions, not just in conflict, but also a society uh, ruined by war. And then we had the Spanish flu. We did. That was uh, possibly, would you say, the well, we most significant we weren't around then. I'd say the most destructive. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what about Mike? Martin Luther King was jailed in Birmingham, Alabama, after a non-violent protest against segregation in 1963. On April 16th, 1963, King wrote his famous letter from Birmingham jail, which was subsequently printed in the Christian Century, the Atlantic Monthly, and eventually in King's book, Why Can't We Wait?, Running to 11 pages, King's letter was a response to the statement by Alabama clergymen in which prominent Alabama clergy, including a bunch of bishops and a rabbi, called for demonstrations against segregation to stop and for the issue to be resolved in the courts. The key statement in the letter was, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. Well, that's brilliant, Mike. I really, really like that. Now, I was going to say to you, Ian, uh, I said, what, what, if I said, oh, oh, two, one little, two, oh, I said, oh, sorry. <laughs> two little word phrase would come back to you if I said, Emile Zola. J'accuse. Absolutely. I accuse. And, and that there, was Emile Zola's letter to the French government accusing them of anti-Semitism uh, and all around the Dreyfus affair. And what else do you need to say? What a powerful little phrase that is, isn't it? A jacuzzi. And I say, if you're tomorrow... Well, only, it's only powerful if you understand French, Bill. Mais oui. Mais oui. Oui, où est la bicyclette de ma tante? Now, there we are, stunned northeast Essex there with my multilingual fluency. Who says that men can't multitask? <laughs> Monsieur Laurence, je ne comprends pas. Now... Uh, well, I'm very going to tell you about the most significant letter I think there ever been, and it's called The Groans of the Britons. Oh, it's an ancient old letter, 450 AD, uh, and it was the Britons appealing for a bit of Roman help, saying to the Romans, come on, can you come and help us? Uh, and the, the Romans didn't, so they asked the Germans. They said, and the, and the Germanic tribes took over Britain. And do you know what that led to? The English language, which nowadays is spoken by 20% of all those 7.5 billion people out there. Wow. Now, Ian, give us another candidate. Uh, oh, God, what was his name? Oh, yeah, St. Paul. Yeah, <laughs> difficult to imagine, isn't it, that Christianity, without those letters written by that fella, St. Paul, uh, which have continued to inform and influence our pastoral traditions uh, throughout the world for nearly, or possibly more than, 2,000 years after the time they were written. In fact, Bill... 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament were written by Paul, many of them in letter format. And I don't think you've got to be overly religious to acknowledge the worldwide impact of Christianity down through the centuries, not to mention the 2.2 billion adherents accounting for 30% of the world's population. That's quite a lot in there. Well, another powerful letter. I can't, I can't top that. We can't top that. You know, I've learned so much about the value of letters as significant as elements. Uh, I'm just going to remind everyone what Beyonce famously said. And she said, a woman should lay down letters as she does a cellar of wine.
All right, Bill and Ian, and to a lesser extent Mike, because I, I don't know what role you played in blocking my letter to the Australian Embassy idea. Anyway, here is your musicology for this tune. It's called I'm Going to Sit Right Down and Write Myself a Letter. Relevance, self-explanatory, I think. This is Box 39, listened to by Australians all around the world. If you are in our wilderness and cannot find your kid, if it's not eaten by a crock, maybe the dingo The Swinging Sixties was a youth-driven cultural revolution that took place in the United Kingdom from the mid to late 1960s with a flourishing art, music and fashion scene. Among its key elements were the Beatles, Mary Quant's miniskirt, the iconic status of popular shopping areas such as London's King's Road and sexual liberation. Recently, David G.A. Stevenson, a local musician, artist and songwriter, came into the Box 39 studio to talk about his career. He started by telling us about an exhibition he has curated and produced at the Gazelli Art House in central London, which features one of the leading activists in those hedonistic swinging 60s, Robert Fraser. Hello, I'm David Stevenson. I live in the Colchester area. I'm a secondary school teacher. I did train as an art teacher. I sometimes teach art, but a lot of time I teach humanities. I'm also a songwriter and performer, an artist and curator. I've always been interested in art and I helped my brother start a gallery um, in London called Rocket. And we got to know lots of artists that we showed, but also I learned a lot about lots of artists all around the world. And as I was a musician, I was drawn to an artist called Ed Ruscha from Los Angeles in America. And he used words and sentences in his art. And I kind of got was getting fed up with just writing normal pop songs about love and things like that. So I decided it'd be great to put his words together and make a song out of it. And the song got sent to Ed Ruscha in Los Angeles and we got a message back from his gallery in London that he loved it and, and why don't we release it as part of a, a big Ed Ruscha exhibition. And that was the start of my art song writing and a love of music and putting art history with music. Headlights are similar to people's eyes Listen, I like to help out, but... And after doing that song, I suddenly realised that Ed Ruscha had shown with an amazing gallery in London called the a Robert Fraser gallery. And just as I was discovering that, I discovered that there was a lady called Harriet Viner who'd written an amazing book called Groovy Bob, which is all about um, Robert Fraser and his gallery. And Robert Fraser was an amazing person in the 60s. He seemed to draw everybody together in music, art and fashion. He sold paintings to the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. And he brought a lot of Los Angeles artists over to London and he brought a lot of London people over to America. So he was an amazing bridge and conduit, as well as being quite a hedonistic, flamboyant figure. He'd been brought up in a quite a rich family and gone to Eton, though he hadn't lasted too long, but ended up starting this gallery with the help of his family, which became an incredibly important gallery 
in, in the 1960s. Somebody else who showed at the gallery was Derek Bosher. Fortunately, I was introduced to him and we decided to collaborate. He decided he would love to do, if I wrote a song about him, he would love to do the sleeve for it. So I had this collaboration with Derek Bosher. And I realized that I had started writing lots of songs about people who'd all shown with Robert Fraser. So the idea came about that I would do an album of all these artists and perhaps Derek Bosher would do the sleeve. My mother taught me how to sew. I followed my father like a shadow. The next thing was Derek Bosher had a solo show at this amazing gallery in London called Gazelli Art House, run by a lady called Mila Askarova, and Derek had told her about my project. She liked to do a historical exhibition every, every year, and she had done one in 2016 called This Is Today, based on a famous Whitechapel show from the 50s with Richard Hamilton and people. Um, Derek Bosher was in her group show This Is Today, and lo and behold, when I went back and, and looked at the catalogue, because I didn't know her gallery at the time, somebody had written about my song with Bosher and also about the forthcoming album Robert Fraser's Groovy Arts Club Band. Because, of course, Robert Fraser showed Peter Blake and Jan Hayworth, Peter Blake's wife at the time, and he commissioned them to design the cover for the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, because there had been another cover muted, and Robert Fraser said to the Beatles, this isn't good enough, you need to do something quite amazing. So that's how we ended up with Peter Blake and Jan Hayworth designing the cover for Sgt. Pepper. So I was able to finish the album with my friend Josh Stapleton in Poland. Derek Bosher did a fantastic design. It's a double vinyl album. It is available from a Gazelle Art House website and from the gallery. Um, it's very exciting, having been a great collector of vinyl in my younger days. One, it's fantastic to actually produce my own vinyl album, but also vinyl is becoming very popular again. You can walk into Tesco's and Asda and see vinyl, which is quite exciting when we thought it had all disappeared. Also, artwork looks fantastic, the 12-inch format. It's a fantastic way of presenting things. So we had this, we had the whole idea for, for the show, and it opened on the evening of 10th for January and we had hundreds of people coming to the opening it was quite extraordinary we had characters like Paul Smith the designer um, who uh, clothes and, and, and shops and he, he collects art he was excited to be there we had Barry Miles who is the famous 60s writer we had Joe Boyd who um, uh, produced Pink Floyd in their early days Fairport Convention and Nick Drake and 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 uh, more recently Robin Hitchcock and all uh, and those wonderful people fantastic to see him we had John Dunbar who ran Indica Gallery which is the other great gallery of the 60s where Yoko Ono showed and Robert Fraser kind of met John Lennon and Yoko Ono at Indica and then he had the idea that they would do a joint show at the Robert Fraser Gallery and that was just over 40 years ago so that's another thing we we were celebrating we also had um, Andrew Shavowski and Susan Carrington who um, started the Roxy Punk Club in Covent Garden then went on to run the Fridge which is an amazing and important club also in in South London in Brixton so it it kind of felt like we had all these energetic buzzy people everyone was dressed amazingly there were queues at the gallery door and then we went to the arts club and myself and my London musicians we played ten of the songs about people who'd all shown with Robert Fraser Richard Hamilton slipping to me listening to Out of Box 39 on Cone Radio 106.6 FM.
Dear Brian Eno, I am writing this letter to you partly out of gratitude for providing so much of the original soundtrack of my teenage years and doing so in an unconventional and pioneering way, a style that can give comfort to an adolescent seeking individuality and identity in a boys' school full of Genesis and Led Zeppelin fans. I also want to thank you, Brian, for being so clever, even if I did not always realize the extent of it when I was 13 years old. It was only in preparing for this special edition of Box 39 on Letters that I realized that this song, No One Receiving from 1977, was almost certainly about the letter from humanity addressed to whoever might be out there in the universe that was placed aboard the Voyager spacecraft launched in 1977, a letter unlikely ever to be received or answered by anyone, and yet it sprang from the same human impulse that gave rise to prehistoric historic cave paintings and handprints to record our memories, our questions and ourselves. Thank you, Brian. Yours truly, Adrian. Back to silence, back to minus, with the purple sky behind us in Ladies and gentlemen of the Cone Radio listening public, this is another tune from Ausgang Exit, our live house band from their forthcoming album. This new composition is called With and Ho Ain't Big Enough for the 15 or 16 of Us. Big Sue, though, she's really giving it all there, isn't she? Anyway, I'm not sure what that exactly means, because this studio here at Colm Radio Towers, I think it's big enough for 15 or 16 of them. Uh, with and hose, certainly big enough, isn't it? I don't understand. Anyway, you are listening, ladies and gentlemen. Wherever you are, you're listening to Box 39. We are the community and music-based wall of sound radio show here on the wonderful Colm Radio 106 FM. Now, coming up, uh, Donna from Norwich is going to be here with Ironing on the Radio. We can't wait. There's actually a small crowd of people waiting down at reception, hoping to see her. And tonight's show is all about letters, and we're going to push on with that, and we're going to look at the golden age of letters, which... They tell me maybe well over and there may soon be a generation that won't actually get to know or experience what conventional letters are like. But us three old elderly gents, well at least those two wearing their elasticated trousers, are old enough to know. So I'm going to pose this question. And Ian, what was the most important or memorable or life-changing letter you've ever received? The most memorable and probably the funniest was a letter that was returned to me by the postman, funnily enough. Um, I'd written to my father-in-law at the time um, on a scientific subject, giving him some facts and stuff that he'd asked for, a little pricey of my opinion at the bottom of it. I sent it off airmail because he lived abroad, and about three to four weeks later, it came back, covered in red ink with all my spelling mistakes and grammar incorrections. In- 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 and that's what he did. That, as a result, it was just returned to you. It was returned to me, covered in uh, <laughs> corrections. Um, and you know what? <laughs> to all those English teachers who failed me over the years, you can rest easy because my grammar and my spelling have improved since then. Fantastic. Yeah, Do you know, nowadays that's called spag. Did you know that? Is that called spag? What, spelling and grammar? Spelling, punctuation and grammar. I'm sure Mike wouldn't uh, ever suffer with anything like that. So go on then, Mike. Let's chuck the same question at you. What was the most important letter you ever received? Well, I got them all the time, but the most important one was the National Service Board. Um, I was rejected um, due to an operation I had for osteomyelitis, uh, which is a diseased bone. In fact, I almost lost my leg. But it was okay. They, they saved it. 
So, go on then, what happened as a result of that? Well, fortunately I didn't go in because it was 1956 during the Suez Crisis and I could have been uh, parachuted in. Um, what happened then was I went to the local employment agency in the small town of Havant. Uh, those days it was called the Labour Exchange. And they got me, surprisingly, a job at KLM in London, in New Bond Street, which was a fantastic experience. And much better than being parachuted into a canal. And that route through going into the airline business took me to Pan Am in California in the 60s. And that's another story. But the power of a letter there, Mike. That's changed your life, didn't it? Absolutely. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you what the most significant letter I've ever got in the mail was. Shall I tell, shall I, shall I tell go you? Go on, share it oh, with us, Bill. Go on, we want to hear now. Go on, you've got a big grin on your face. It must be good. Come All on. All right, well, I... Uh, what was the most significant letter you ever got in the it mail? It was a letter from a man called Norman Wisdom. Sir Norman Wisdom, the Norman Wisdom. He what wrote me a letter. What happened next, then? Well, I'll tell you the story. I saw him on a television programme uh, called Wogan, which was like a chat show, and he came on and he was begging for work. He was dreadful, he was awful. It was like a fallen star on hard terms. And I wrote him a letter, care of the BBC, saying, Norm, I saw you on the telly. You want to come round to my house? Come round any time. Bring the present, Mrs Wisdom. Let us know what you'd like in advance for dinner. We'll pay your bus fare. It was a slightly tongue-in-cheek letter, and I got a reply from him. He was wow. going to get the bus all the way from the Isle of Man. <laughs> and he, he sent me a letter and he said, uh, thank you ever so much for your kind offer. Um, I won't be bringing the present Mrs Wisdom, but I, I will come. And he said, take this letter to where I'm on at Panto, somewhere in Dartford, and uh, my, uh, my agent will come rushing round and uh, we, I'll get you something to eat. Uh, I think he slightly took me seriously and we weren't that serious. I felt a little bit guilty. Anyway. What, what do you think, Ian? Do you think that's true? It's a fantastic story. I, d- I don't think we're on that BBC programme where you're you know, trying to guess whether it's a lie or not. I think we are allowed to <laughs> no, believe this. I'm going to press Horace. the button. That was the truth. Uh, what I want to know, Bill, is did the communication carry on from there? Did you develop a deep and meaningful relig- uh, relationship? <laughs> religious religion, relationship. Religious oh, relationship. Worship, with Sir Norman. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, wasn't, what happened. As I left that house, it was a shared house. And the guy that one of the guys in the house and his girlfriend presented me with a farewell present, and I opened it up, and it was a faked uh, signed autograph picture from Norman Wisdom. So that was the fake bit, but uh, uh, the letters were real. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry about the religious bit. It was the uh, you know Saint Paul bit earlier on that confused me. Well, look, I, the, the, one more example. We've got a letter submitted by Adrian. Uh, you know, he's been striving for ideas, but actually. Um, I don't really think how we can broadcast these. You know, you've all got copies in front of you. Have a little look through. I mean, look, if you read through, first paragraph, uh, Archbishop there, and then the Russian minister. Like, we can't talk about that bit about the Queen Mother, can Not we? about the gravy boat? No, or no, and the tangerines. But, but no, right man, no mention of stocking, so we might be all right on that. Uh, and with the fake, no, we can't do it. Look, we're not going to read that one out, Adrian. I'm sorry. That's just, we'd be off air straight away. No, sorry. I must have got up about 20 to 7, had a shower and had breakfast and uh, had a couple of pieces of toast. You know, forced it down and had a cup of coffee. It was pouring with rain and I thought, oh God, you know, Cologne, England. I get this writer's block, it comes as quite a shock And now I'm stuck between a hard place and the biggest rock In my own head consumed, I sit back in my room It's like the tapestries of life get tangled in the loom I'm like a butterfly, caught in a hurricane My pulse is quickening as my heart plays a new refrain I'm loving Mary Jane, flying with Lois Lane On board a bullet train Dear Bill and Ian, and to a lesser extent Mike, I am writing this letter because I want to let you know how important being involved in this show has become to me. I live and breathe it every day, and I do suffer from writer's block, so when I had the idea for the most important letter I've ever written, and you knocked me back like that, it did hurt. I just want you to know that. Mike, I don't think you had anything to do with it, so you and me are cool. Bill and Ian, it was a good idea. Yours truly, Adrian. Don't know yet if I'm glad I came. Don't know yet if I'm glad I came. Obviously this helped me, I think. Don't know yet if I'm glad I came. Don't know yet if I'm glad I came. I always hoped that it would happen, but I never thought it really would. What's in the book? What's in the book? Thank <laughs> you.
Earlier in this show, we met local creative artist, musician and songwriter David G.A. Stevenson, who talked about his recent experiences in collaboration in art and music installations and his current exhibition featuring art and original music to celebrate the life of 1960s hedonistic cultural icon, Groovy Robert Fraser. In the second part of our exclusive interview with David, he tells us about his own artistic journey and how he balances one part of his life as a teacher here in North East Essex with the other part, making art and music in London. I'm David Stevenson. I live in the Colchester area. I describe myself as curator, musician and teacher, teaching art and humanities. My wife and I moved out of London about 15 years ago. In London, I had helped my brother um, start Rocket Gallery, which grew out of the Rocket Press, which printed limited edition books using the old metal type and woodblock. So it was a very limited edition, but wonderful thing to be involved with. Out of that grew the idea to have an art gallery. So my kind of love of things is this collaboration. And also, I was always very interested in music. And slowly, as I got more and more into art, I realised that a lot of musicians that I loved, you know, people from The Who, The Rolling Stones, Yardbirds and everybody, they had all been to art college. So there was actually a, a big connection between art and music. And slowly I realised that when I picked up one of my Rolling Stones albums, like Sticky Fingers, it was actually designed by somebody called Andy Warhol. So the major names that came along, I suddenly started doing my own research and creating this idea of people who have collaborated in art and music and fashion and how it's important when you're putting on an exhibition to collaborate with an artist. So my brother and I, when we eventually did exhibitions in London, and our first one was, was a, with an amazing Welsh woman um, called Ray Howard-Jones, we put together this show where we made a film about her, we had lots of cabinets full of her life as well as her paintings on the wall and drawings, and this gave this idea that art exhibition is a proper installation, a proper collaboration between people. At the same time, I was living in London and, and hanging out with a lot of friends who were musicians and the idea that I would do gigs and but also start clubs. I started quite a few clubs, including this amazing place called The Windmill in Brixton. As well as Los Angeles in the 60s and 70s, I'm really taken with New York in the 60s and 70s, especially the middle 70s, where you had all the hip-hop artists and the subway art, and you had this amazing artist called Jean-Michel Basquiat, who became friends with Andy Warhol and a protege, and he has become one of the major figures in the art world. He died when he was 27, like a lot of people seem to do. I wrote a song about him um, called Samo, Undiscovered Genius of the Mississippi Delta. That's the name of one of his paintings. Um, and Samo was his tag. Before he became a painter, he was um, a graffiti artist. And I was lucky enough to meet Tina Weymouth and Chris Franz from Talking Heads Tom Tom Club and they loved the um, the Ed Roucher song I'd written and so I put it to them well why don't I come to New York and we do a song about Basquiat and they thought that was brilliant and I went over to New York basically on my last pound I had about one pound left over after I'd done paid the airfare went over there and spent an incredible day with them recording this song about Basquiat which is on the album that I've just done Robert Fraser's Groovy Arts Club Band Search of food and 
genius of the Mississippi Delta. But Basquiat was incredible because he had a band. He had a band with some amazing people like Vincent Gallo, who is an amazing film director. So Basquiat was all about all these collaborations. His graffiti was a collaboration and all his art and his installation work. And just recently, some months ago, the Barbican the Art Gallery in London put on an amazing show of Basquiat. And it, it really did show this collaboration and him using materials from music, from fashion, from graffiti, painting and all the books he was inspired by and that's just the sort of exhibition that I love and that is the exhibition that I put together with Gazelli Art House. We have videos, we have a kind of funky space in the gallery where you can sit down, look at cabinets with album covers and artifacts that relate to the artists. And this has all come out of the fact I've done a lot of work with my brother over the years, curated a lot of shows, and also curated quite a few shows with photography, especially the photographer Martin Parr, who's become very well known. One of the things I did with him and my brother was the Pet Shop Boys were always wanted to collaborate with Martin Parr, so we arranged for him to do the video for their song, London. So film, video, creating an extraordinary installation is very much something that has grown up as part of my raison d'etre and it's something that I can bring to my teaching as well. I think with teaching you need to give a whole experience to people. There is a kind of posh German word for it which is Gessen Kunstwerk. So you kind of have a whole work of art so you kind of immerse people in things and that's a great way in teaching. If you immerse students in something they will get a much better idea of things. So I use my art and my music and my photography when I'm teaching history or geography or RE or indeed art and I can use all these things to give people hopefully a heightened experience and what I do with my band in East Anglia which is called the Groovy Arts Club Band which obviously comes from the name of my project Robert Fraser's Groovy Arts Club Band they are all artists in the band Derek Jones Graham McKenney and also Bill Warwick on drums we're all artists together so when we do a show it's not just about the music. For start, I wear clothes that um, Derek Jones has, has bleached, um, painted, which are quite extraordinary. We have slides and at some point we are aiming to do an exhibition and gig so that we will show our artwork on the walls and on screens as well as perform the music. This is something that has come over time and it's the exciting way that I can put things into my teaching, put things into my life and put things into this incredible hobby which keeps me sane doing music and in a kind of historical and contemporary way. Hello, I've been asked to read this. You're listening to Out of Box 39 on Colm Radio. a song called Letter Letter by a band called Letter Letter from their eponymous debut album entitled Letter Letter. It was released in 2007 and was not a hit. 
There you go, Bill and Ian. I produce about 12 letters of reference for students applying for courses, anywhere between 12 and 20 every year. And I started doing it about 10 years ago. Uh, I was very sincere about it and used to sit down and think about the student and write a letter. I really did. Uh, but then gradually, as the years went past, I went through various phases of effort, motivation and sincerity to the point now that I churn them out. Uh, I have a pro forma letter. I don't think about it anymore. I don't turn anybody down. It's a great little letter, but it's also mass-produced and it's, and it's really rather regretful. Well, this is our housebound Ausgang Exit with their new tune, the third brand new tune tonight, in fact. This time it's called The Time for Pay Negotiations is Here Again. You know, guys, uh, tonight all the compositions they played, played, I know they're unreleased and they're going to be on, they're going to be on a new album, which has a, a strange working title. Really, it's called "We May Have Outgrown Cold Radio." Well, to be quite honest, I think Dave on trombone over there in the corner tonight may well have outgrown those diamante one-piece leotards that he's wearing. Ian, just go over and have a word with him, will you, about the practical and aesthetic advantages of an elasticated waistband? I just want to point out to the boys that that contract that we signed in the presence of the lawyers is non-negotiable. Yes. I'm slightly feeling prickly myself about this. How do you feel, Mike, about this? Well... Prickly or not, I've um, got a message from Donna. Um, Fantastic. From is, she, is she nearly here? Is well, it sent down to reception to go and get her? Yeah, the bell went. I think um, she said she wasn't going to be here, but uh, I hope it's her. I mean, uh, the celebrity we had lined up insisted on anonymity. An, an, an so quite frankly, that further undermines an already thinly stretched idea. And so I suggest he just iron out his own underpants and Donna irons hers. Thank you, Donna, for standing by like you have. Well, I, I must say, I'm quite disappointed. I love that show, and she's not coming. But anyway, I have noticed, if you look there, she's sent a picture. There she is, Mike. There she is. And look, she's got that great big red iron. Wow. Right gripped in her hand. Look at that. That's straight off the range, that one, isn't it? That's some iron, that is. That's terrific. Anyway, we're delighted to welcome here, he's here, our guest for Red Button, uh, who'll be keeping Adrian company in the studio, Mr. Stevie Ball. Hi, Steve. Hello, Hi, Steve. I am here. How welcome to see you. He has actually been bouncing around in amongst us, uh, pointing a bit of a camera at us, haven't you? And so we're going to be talking about your photography later on. So you're very, very welcome to uh, Comb Radio Towers, Steve. I'm glad you found us up here on the fourth floor. It's, it's sometimes a bit difficult to get through all those corridors, isn't it? It was a stiff climb. Yeah. But anyway, thank you for making it. And uh, what does the post-letter writing world have in store for us, do you think? Indeed, what is it already having in store for us? Because we've been in, in it for some time, haven't we? Uh, emails did replace letters for the most part, I suppose, what, 10 years maybe? Something like certainly at work. People write emails, don't they, instead of writing letters? If it's important, maybe they'll attach a letter to them, but it's still sent electronically, a Word document. To be honest, do people print stuff out anymore? And stamps. I mean, who buys a stamp? Ian, when was the last time you bought a stamp? Uh, I last used a stamp about three days ago to send a postcard. Well, a postcard, a birthday card. Um, but, you know, you talk about... We talked earlier about the history, the historians looking at letters. I cannot imagine anyone looking at a PDF... Um, or a, you know, a, a email attachment uh, in history. What we're going to be looking at probably is uh, video or film of the events that have occurred as a consequence of emails. I think you're right. In fact, does it mean that we're not going to be able to write soon? Well, I think there are uh, people are losing their handwriting skills and there's a difference between having a pen in your hand and writing a letter. Something more um, cerebral about it. Uh, compared to being on a keyboard and uh, kind of uh, easy looking up a, a, a word on the keyboard. I prefer to get down the dictionary and other thoughts occur and somehow the actual process of handwriting becomes more 
more, more satisfying. Yeah, but you don't need to write anymore. You could just put all those little images, can't you? Those little yellow smiley faces or hands gesticulating. And they say so much, don't they? <laughs> they do and they don't. Um, <laughs> they're not really expressing true meaning or emotion. Great if you're doing an educational online thing and everybody's saying, can you hear me? Please put a thumbs up sign. You know, I can understand that. But if you're... You're truly trying to get away, get across emotion, uh, feeling, uh, understanding, empathy. You're not going to do that with an emoji or whatever, an emoji, because uh, I constantly told yes. I say it wrong. Homogenizing, I think they are, aren't they? Like uh, milk, homogenous. Well, it's almost like I'd say, it's almost like taking a modern day antidepressant where. All that emotion just gets squashed down. There's a, this teeny tiny little wave rather than the emotional roller coaster that life is. You're just not expressing it to its full. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? I mean, Mike, when was the last time you wrote a letter? Uh, just before Christmas to Australia, a friend in Australia who um, doesn't use the internet, doesn't know anything about technology. Um, the unfortunate thing is that I can't understand his uh, handwriting. But. Bring it round to me. I've been reading Doctor's handwriting for 30 years. I'll mm. decipher it for you. <laughs> but I'm joking. I, I have to really concentrate, but uh, that's the only time I write a letter. And there we go. But um, Well, see, see the, the, the handwriting, you're talking about writing letters. You have to sit down, find some time, find some space, get the pen, get something to lean on. Writing emails is a little bit too easy, isn't it? Because you fire them off, you're angry, you got a letter from the gas company saying we're putting up your gas by 10%. Straight away, you fire off that letter. And, and that's okay, that doesn't matter to the gas company, but if you actually write and you've misread a letter and it's to your boss, and straight away you're angry and you, write, you fire off a letter, it's too easy. I it's, think it's even worse than that, Bill, because not only do you not have that... Uh, that time to reflect on what you've written as you write the address, put the stamp on, walk to the postbox. You've also got that great ally, spell check, which might actually <laughs> completely change um, the nature yes. and the content of the letter that you've written. What's that thing called when your phone changes the words to what it thinks you want to say? Predictive taxis. Predictive taxis. Yeah, I hate them. Predictive taxis. Yeah, yeah. that's about right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. If only the taxi could predict exactly where I'll be when I want it. Coming in with a uh, devil's writing advocate, uh, what about um, more people are actually using more words? How's that for a... Uh, Is that because they stuff? come up from the computer, you mean? Exactly. So the computer has a synonyms thing that's quite easy to find, isn't it? Yeah. But, well, uh, no. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need a lesson on that as well. <laughs> and uh, the other thing, letters you write might be a love letter, for instance, or it might be a letter very formally to the bank. There is a rather new sort of letter that has arrived with modern media, and that's the letter of abuse, isn't it? The troll's letter. Now, I'm not very good at it, but I understand a troll is someone follows someone else and gives them a hard time. On so, so, right? Normally on social media, yeah. I think. Yeah. Apparently that was very uh, prominent in the um, uh, US elections when the Russians used troll farms, and I know what that means because I looked it up on the internet. Uh, posting, uh, Are we back to Google again? <laughs> posting online, deliberate, inflammatory, provocative comments. And uh, uh, they fixed the, helped to fix the US election in 2016 using Facebook. And uh, no letter writing campaign could have uh, had that impact. But I'm not, um, not supporting that because it can get nasty, as we know. Facebook and but all people writing things without signing them. I think what we're generally saying is that once you start to tap away on those keys, you can make something happen incredibly quickly. It's an instant response. There is no thought, there's no reflection. Return key, it's over, the damage is done. Well, the post-letter writing world really does have its good points, doesn't it? And it has its bad points, as does progress, of course, and modernisation more general, generally. Well, terrific. But... Maybe the same can't be said for Colm Radio's music and spoken word show, Bill's Big Bag of Onions, which, as you can hear for yourself, is on Tuesdays at 0 hundred hours and Sundays at 10 in the evening. And that's got only good points and no bad points at all. Oh, do you love my segue? Ed, what's the name of this uh, radio programme that I've been making? I don't know. 
Bill's big bag of onions? Bill's big bag of onions. Are you sure? Yes. Onions. Big bag of onions. It was the onions. Big bag of onions. Folks, that really is it, and it's time for us to go. You have been listening to a Box 39 special with a theme of letters with me, Bill Lawrence, Ian Talentine, Mike Harwood and Adrian Cohen, and are always welcome, although rather expensive these days, house band Ausgang Exit. Very special thank you to the multitasking and utterly sane David G.A. Stevenson. Stay tuned, everyone, for the award-winning show Box 39 Red Button, coming up in just a few moments here on Colm Radio, when we extend the chat, we extend the conversation, it's live and unleashed, and there's more great music, of course, and we'll be with Steve Ball. Yes, Steve Ball will be here in the house. Now, Ian, tell us how it is. So, from where we are, high up on the top floor, Studio One, here at Cone Radio Towers, high above the full and fertile lands of North East Essex, it's time for us to close Box 39 once more. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Box 39 has been a guppy production for Cone Radio.